Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the new president's management agenda includes cover for agencies to try new things. I think the federal government is needing to branch out into new work environments, uh, into new workplaces and have labs that really investigate how best to work with one another. A huge boost for telework in the new PMA. Telework is such an integral and strategic tool as a component of continuity of government and continuity of operations. And the Navy gets a little audit help from its bots. Overall, we are projecting uh, kind of repurposing of 83,000 labor hours from Uh, these manual processes onto other analytical uh, and high-value projects. It's Thursday, November 18th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The new president's management agenda from the Biden administration features strengthening the federal workforce as its top priority. The two other priorities in the PMA include customer experience and managing the business of government. The Office of Management and Budget released the PMA today. More on it in a moment on the Daily Scoop podcast. The Senate's at work on this year's National Defense Authorization Act. More than 700 amendments are on the docket for consideration on the Senate floor. The House passed its version of the NDA. DAA in September. Proposals the Technology Modernization Fund Board's reviewing add up to more than double the amount of money the fund has to award. Dave Nitsch appears writing about that for FedScoop. Dave, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. More than $2 billion in funding requests from agencies. Is that a number we should be surprised by, Dave? Uh, I don't think so at all. I think agencies have been clamoring for this money for for years now. And uh, I mean, while they were very excited that Congress put one billion in the fund and through the American Rescue Plan Act, uh, I think we always knew that it wasn't going to be enough. And now we're just seeing how much the demand or how high the demand is for this money. I note a comment that you quote from executive director of the TMF board, Raylene Young. The board announces another round of funding likely next year. That says to me nothing between now and the beginning of January. Any significance to the timeline, do you think, Dave? Uh, I just think they're taking a really targeted approach to this. Uh, as we saw with the the first round of this new pot of money, three of these programs or three of the projects funded were zero trust programs. And they're rethinking how they fund those programs because they don't want to do just straight zero trust, even though demand is high because of the cybersecurity executive order. So we might see a couple more of those, but they, they really also want to fund innovative IT modernization projects that aren't just in the cyber realm. And that's going to take some, some thinking on their part uh, as they keep delving into these proposals. You can find more about the TMF and all of these headlines and lots of other stories at fedscoop.com. The Navy says it's making progress on auditing its books and it's finding some pleasant surprises along the way. The chief financial officer of the Navy, Alala Jenkins, tells you about them later in today's Daily Scoop podcast. The new president's management agenda lists strengthening and empowering the federal workforce as its first priority. Human capital drives the other two priorities in the PMA, too. Jeff Pond is the former director of the Office of Personnel Management. Jeff, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. I go to strategy three under that priority one. Reimagine and build a roadmap to the future of federal work informed by lessons from the pandemic and nationwide workforce and workplace trends. Jeff, what are those nationwide workforce and workplace? 
workplace trends that you think federal human capital leaders should be thinking about as they execute strategy three under priority one in the new PMA? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Francis, for having me. It's a great to see you again. Um, you know, the new PMA, it's uh, pretty interesting that human capital still drives a lot of the things. And especially now, it's very salient uh, in terms of uh, pandemic and post-pandemic type of uh, work situations. So reimagining how we work as federal employees or even just workers, uh, private sector and public sector are grappling with, uh, why can't I just work at home and deliver? Well, I think the challenge that we have is uh, there's uh, generally a, a trust factor that you have in having uh, customers or our citizens get the services they, they need from people that are doing federal work, either at home or in their federal buildings. Uh, you know, there's a Pew Research uh, study that says there's only 24% of the people trust the government in delivering what they, uh, they want to do uh, for their citizens. That lack of trust has to do with, uh, you know, how we manage the federal government in terms of capabilities, in terms of humanity, in terms of making sure that we have the reliability and performance accountability to actually deliver those things. Without those things in place, it doesn't matter where you work. Um, we need to make sure that there is measurement in terms of trusting our workforce so that they can deliver on the mission of this administration. One of the, uh, the subheads in the PMA strategy three under priority one is we will plan and pilot new approaches together toward the future of federal work. I take heart from that phrase, the future of federal work, because it sounds at least like they're thinking about it very broadly and very conceptually and not just tactically. Is that a fair inference on my part, do you think, Jeff? I, I think that that's right. And I, I think it's high time that the federal government starts doing pilot projects like this because the private sector is actually doing that as we speak, and they're not pilot projects. Many of the major technology companies have uh, shuttered a lot of their headquarters facilities, and people are not just working at work. I mean, working at home, they're actually working wherever they want to go. Some people are traveling within groups and going as uh, work groups and, and figuring out how to work together and have fun too. So, you know, I think the federal government is, uh, is needing to branch out into new work environments, uh, into new workplaces and have labs that really investigate how best to work with one another uh, because the hierarchy of a building and the hierarchy of an organization isn't what uh, the current generation wants to to, to do the contract of a 20 year, 30 year career in the federal government is probably pretty unrealistic, but uh, giving them projects and experiences are up the alley of uh, where mission work is delivered. There is uncertainty in the private sector, too, though, about what the future of work looks like. Uh, you're right that there are a lot of technology companies that are saying, don't come back to the office ever or come back one day. Everybody's kind of doing it differently. And we even see cases where uh, Google and I believe Facebook or Meta or whatever it is now um, is buying they're buying big spaces and paying big money for office spaces in midtown Manhattan. So that lack of clarity at least the way it appears to me to be a lack of clarity, isn't peculiar, isn't unique to the federal government, is it, Jeff? No, no, not at all. I, I think uh, everybody's trying to pivot to where they may go, may go, not will go. 
Uh, so you have to have options. You have to have options for people to work uh, in common spaces, but perhaps not as a permanent office. So a lot of hoteling spaces, a lot of places where you can check in and check out. You can find people on a common floor and, and have a conference uh, live and also via you know, whatever technology that you're using right now. So um, having those options as a big company, I think it uh, behooves them to uh, really take a look at what those uh, array of options are because the work styles of people are very, very different and accommodating for maximum effectiveness and, and productivity is, is always the goal of most organizations. So having that repertoire of office, office space, temporary to permanent, uh, also remotely is, is the gamut of the things that they're going to be investigating. Strategy four under priority number one, in my view, gets to exactly the heart of the reason that you are no longer the Office of Personnel Management Director. Build the personnel system and support required to sustain the federal government as a model employer able to effectively deliver on a broad range of agency missions. And what I'm getting at here is the PMA says to meet this need, OPM will enhance its ability to effectively deliver on its mission to lead federal human capital management and serve as a central strategic leader in federal federal human resources. OPM's not going anywhere. And in fact, if anything, OPM will become stronger under this administration than it's ever been before if that vision's executed. Is that a reasonable observation on my part, Jeff? I, I would hope so. It's the renewal of making sure that the civil service redefines itself and the rules in which it governs the civil service redefines itself. Why is that important? our antiquated 40-year, 50-year personnel system really doesn't work in this day and age. Uh, While I was director, even now, that's that's the case. We really need to have an overhaul of how we do compensation, recruitment, performance management. You know, uh, the performance is an individual sport. It's a team sport now, and we don't account for those different types of things. And the way in which we want to work is going to be a lot more flexible, not a nine-to-five type thing, but really taking a look at personalization of how you want to work and where you want to work and who you want to work with are some of the things that I think the Office of Personal Management needs to uh, define. I hope Congress actually authorizes them um, some new funds to really take a look at how we are going to be working in the future uh, because many of the things that we're doing is, is 1.0 HR. And what I mean by 1.0 HR is administration, and organization versus really business partnering and making sure that you're a a consultant to the agencies that you serve. I think that's the progression that that, uh, OPM and HR organizations go through, that 1.2.3.0 evolution. And to that end, I want to ask you about one more passage uh, that's in this new president's management agenda. OPM and OMB also will continue to build out tools to support agency human resources professionals in data-driven strategic workforce planning and decision-making related to employee engagement, inclusion, and organizational performance. That data emphasis at an enterprise-wide level through OPM is something that agency people have been asking for for a long, long time, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. And each agency, I mean, back back in previous administrations, you had the human capital accountability and assessment framework. You had a lot of different other measurement type things. But with this new PMA that just came out, they're trying to emphasize equity, dignity and accountability. Um, 
we just don't have the tools to, to measure those things right now. And, and I think OPM and other agencies are going to need to have the measurement tools on saying, hey, what are the indicators for uh, success in developing an environment for equity or dignity? And accountability has to do with transparency as well. How, how do we actually increase the transparency and, and actually uh, make some gains with previous administration and having their uh, open standards for reporting out uh, federal data. Jeff Pond, terrific insight. Thank you very much for coming on the program today. It's great to talk to you. Great to talk to you. Happy Thanksgiving. You can read more about the PMA in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The intersection of cybersecurity and physical security and preventing crashes at that intersection. David Mussington of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has advice on Monday's show. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts Monday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The new president's management agenda includes a number of references to remote work and the way that federal employees will work in the future. New guidance from the Office of Personnel Management will shape the way that agencies decide what the future of work looks like for their agencies. Mika Cross is a federal workplace expert reviewing the new guidance from the Office of Personnel Management and the new president's management agenda. Mika, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program, Mika. What do you see in the intersection of the guidance that we got last week on remote work and telework and the release today of the president's management agenda? Priority one, strengthening the federal workforce. Welcome. Thanks, Francis. Well, you know, certainly the new guide is also encouraging agencies to take advantage of this new world of work that we're navigating. So by leveraging extended access and expanded access to more telework options, more frequently, more regularly, along with remote work options that actually have already been in place, but that they're hoping agencies will start to um, also capitalize on, it will really lead to some great successful outcomes when you're thinking about engaging the workforce and enhancing the overall employee experience. In fact, you know, the latest Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey last year on those COVID-19 related questions were surprisingly positive from employees' perspective who were navigating the world of work and delivering the mission on behalf of America while navigating the issues of working in this public health crisis. And many of them, about 59% of them, were doing so in an extended telework or hybrid or remote work kind of capacity. So I think it's an exciting time for feds and for agencies to really start pushing out those policies, start, um, I think, enhancing those position descriptions in the way that they're going to be recruiting the next gen of, of top talent by leveraging the flexibilities that have been working so well for them over I, the past 20 plus months. I note that the guidance from OPM was guidance. It was exactly that. There were no mandates. Uh, they were uh, There were no policies formally made. And the, uh, the guidance explicitly says agencies can use this to formulate their own policies. Is that, yeah. is that necessarily the best way to bring people back? I mean, because that's going to perpetuate, I think, what I hear anecdotally, which is I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do it. 
Right. So what this guide is, is an update to the guidance that already existed based on the Telework Enhancement Act of 2010. So there's a lot of words that are encouraging agencies. They're pushing agencies to think differently and more broadly and more strategically about these workplace flexibilities, but there's no real mandate. And, you know, there's, in my opinion, really not a standard uniformity to how agencies can think about implementing it. That might be one gap in the way that this guide is um, intended to provide agencies with, you know, information around. Because year after year after year, Francis, in the OPM congressional reports to Congress on telework, as well as in the GAO high risk lists and all of the data and research that they provide, management resistance is listed as the number one top barrier to telework implementation. And if you think about it, do you know that telework has been around since 1934? Federal telework. 1934. The How'd first they do federal it then? Telework. How did they do I it? I mean, it's, they were more mobile, okay? But, you know, in the 1950s, you had rocket scientists that were teleworking between LA and Washington, D.C. In the 70s and 80s and 90s, you saw the policy progressing from what they called, you know, flexi place to telecommuting to now telework. And now it's all the buzz around hybrid and remote and telework. Regardless of what you call it, it's work. And so what needs to start happening is that agencies make some investments here. It's time, right, in how we measure productivity and performance in any environment. So maybe shifting away from just inputs and outputs to actual outcomes and then equipping managers, again, back to that resistance and the barrier piece, equipping managers to be able to lead rather than butts and seats or turning on the video camera to make sure they're behind their computer and actually having some stronger performance measures by which we can hold ourselves accountable to the American public who we serve. So you said this guidance uh, encourages agencies to think more broadly and think more strategically about their telework and remote work policies. What would you do if you're leading the organization that's going to determine it? And not just as an HR person, but Mm -hmm. as somebody who interacts with a group of employees on an ongoing basis, what would you do that maybe an agency hasn't done before to think more broadly and think more strategically, Mika? I think the first step would be to assume that any position who was working in a remote capacity or on a higher level um, of frequency of telework is going to be presumed eligible unless we had documentation that their performance fell below fully successful and that that performance was a result of the location of where they were working from, which is going to be really hard to prove. So I would start first with the definition of eligibility. Here's why, you know, in the Telework Enhancement Act and All of the best leaders understand the importance, and certainly we all do now because of the pandemic, um, but of other issues too, that telework is such an integral and strategic tool as a component of continuity of government and continuity of operations. And so if you start with the presumption that even if a position can telework for only a portion of a workday, one day out of a calendar year, then technically they're eligible to participate in telework. It's the level of participation which needs to be determined based on the position, 
based on those requirements, not on the person, but also based on um, other things like the necessity to be in a physical office location or serving customers in a physical office location that cannot be done from a remote way. So that's where I would start if I were leading an agency or a team that we're looking at our back to office kind of policies. All right. You said the magic word productivity. Have we gotten better throughout the pandemic at measuring productivity objectively and, and really being able to determine is somebody doing better work, not necessarily more, doing yeah. better work working remotely than they did coming into the office? Well, it's really interesting if you were to go back and look at the 2020 Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey results. And by the way, the 2021 Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey is underway right now. So, you know, employees are weighing in on their perceptions. The overall perceptions across government is that telework enhanced productivity and their ability to do the work. Around 49%, if I'm not mistaken, also indicated they felt like they were doing more work in this telework environment even through the pandemic. Now, I wouldn't be touting that as a success because you also have to be really careful and cognizant as leaders to make sure that you're not leading your workforce down the road of burnout, which can also lead to attrition and turnover and all of those things. From a mental health perspective, people really felt wary. And um, it's an indicator that they felt more productive and were able to get more work done. Now, on the management side, it's interesting because, you know, in private industry, there's studies from the Future Forum. Um, that's a consortium of thought leaders and experts that put out research and data and survey. Um, the Future Forum recently put out a report that states that executives feel like about 79 to 80% want to go back to the office because they feel like it's more productive in the office versus the employees. There's a real gap there. Mm -hmm. So I think there's an opportunity to start kind of matching that up. And I think the second step could be, you know, you asked me in your last question, where would I start? Maybe a second step would be to start mandating that supervisors who are eligible to telework, again, even a portion of a duty day, do so on a more regular basis, because that will strengthen their skills as well by practicing it and by leading a team from anywhere. And that skill, my friend, will take, I think, the federal government to the next level when you're thinking about grooming leadership skills in a multi-generational mobile and digital environment. All right, Mika Cross, thanks very much for joining me. It's great to have you in the program, my friend. Thank you, Francis. You can read more about the PMA and OPM's remote and telework guidance in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. The Defense Logistics Agency has a new chief data and analytics officer. You'll meet Lindsay Saul and learn about her to-do list on Friday's show. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts tomorrow afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Navy is reviewing its results from the Pentagon's fourth annual audit. Those results include some good news. Alala Jenkins is Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Financial Management and Comptroller. Alala, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What are the big takeaways in your view for the Navy in the fiscal 21 audit? Welcome. Thank you, Francis. Uh, I appreciate you having me um, on your um, program here. Um, very excited uh, to talk about our uh, audit results for 21. We just wrapped that up uh, just this past week. 
um, we're showing steady progress. Um, we all knew that this was going to be a long road and a long journey for us, but uh, we focus a lot of our efforts into executing to the plan that we've put in place. One of the most impressive uh, steps was transitioning the Marine Corps onto a new um, system, new modern and compliant accounting system um, within only one year. And all the work and effort that went into that was quite impressive at the speed that we were able to accomplish that. On top of it, um, we focused on decommissioning uh, legacy systems. Uh, happy to report that we transition and um, our, our commands onto our uh, ERP system, our accounting system, decommission seven uh, legacy system. That brings us a savings of over $70 million. Um, so very pleased with that. And um, also on the audit front, um, one of the measurements of success for us is our ability to address the major um, audit findings, as we call them, material weaknesses. And this year, again, like the previous years, we were able to uh, uh, downgrade one of the material weaknesses around the accountability of real property and utility assets. This is very important from an operational standpoint as well because we now have better visibility into exactly what utility infrastructure we have, their conditions, and which uh, directly feeds into our budget request for the sustainment and the readiness of this infrastructure. Along with um, all the other accomplishments, uh, we focus really this year into bringing uh, new automation and data analytics into the Department of the Navy and happy to report that we are in the forefront of bringing the new technology, a um, lot of automation that will free up um, our labor hours to uh, spend more time on to um, more value add um, uh, analysis uh, and bring in savings for us. So uh, very pleased with the results of the audit. We still have a long journey ahead of us, but um, we, are, we are on the right path. I note that you have 74 bots currently deployed, 79 or more in development. What's that adding? What And, and te- technology um, uh, more broadly, what is that adding, Alali, to your audit process to allow you to either do it faster or do it more comprehensively or do it less expensively or whatever over time? Thanks for that, Francis. Actually, it brings, uh, it's all of the above. Um, and, uh, you know, we've established, as you mentioned, you know, the Robotic Center of Excellence. Um, it's a lot of, uh, we have bots um, that are uh, tailored towards, you know, automating a lot of the manual reconciliations that we have to do as part of the audit process, uh, given the fact that, you know, we have disparate systems still in the environment and we have to collect the data, gather the data from various um, sources and um and reconcile, so we, we use a lot of bots to do that. The, the other piece that um, uh, we are using bots for is ability to search for the documentation and providing that to the auditors. Uh, that took a lot of labor hours for us to manually search these, and now we have the ability to do this faster, less expensive, um, and in overall, we are projecting uh, kind of repurposing of 83,000 labor hours from 
uh, these manual processes onto other analytical uh, and high-value projects. You mentioned the Marine Corps' transition to uh, a new uh, ERP system. The uh, Navy also says the Marine Corps has attained full accountability of its real property and military equipment assets. Are those two issues connected, Alali? Going into a new accounting system definitely brings, um, you know, uh, the um, the accounting part of the real property assets and the military equipment will bring better visibility on the accounting part of it. But there are two kind of separate and distinct um, accomplishment for the Marine Corps while they're going on to system. This was really their logistics community that went out there and did a full count of their real property assets, make sure that you know, the, the system of record, which is separate from this accounting system, was up to date and had the full uh, count of the real property and the military equipment. Um, what is beautiful about that accomplishment is that uh, the Marine Corps had a new auditor this year. And within this very first year, while they were transitioning into a new, you know, accounting system and changing their processes, they were also able to validate and uh and support the full accountability of their essentially major, uh, you know, mission critical assets. I see that the Marine Corps is aiming for a clean opinion in 2023. What gives you the confidence that that can happen? That'd be a pretty significant milestone to hit. Well, one, because they are the Marine Corps <laughs> and the Marines get things done. Uh, no, but that's, that's actually a, a true uh, uh, statement um, uh, about the Marine Corps. Uh, we have, uh, from day one, the Commandant has been behind us. Uh, the tone from the top is very, very clear. The commitment of the Marines are very clear. And when we're looking at now with a new accounting system and now with getting our arms around, um, you know, the major uh, uh, asset categories, there's a lot of work that remains to be done. Um, but we're confident we see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we're going to get together here shortly with, uh, with the team um, on the Marine Corps side. Uh, this is our number one priority for the Department of the Navy, as I call them, all hands on deck, putting all the necessary resources, all the planning. There's going to be a heavy, heavy lift for the Marine Corps. Uh, but um, as, as they've been at this for some time, uh, and they're the Marines, um, we've checked boxes and, uh, and we see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And that is not going to be a, uh, you know, uh, as I as I joke about this, uh, the the light at the end of the tunnel is not a train headed towards us. Okay, that's, we see success at the end. <laughs> that's good news. Um, the longer horizon goal is twenty twenty seven for full auditability of the department or for clean opinion for the department. Um, where are you as far as the entire Navy goes, including the Marine Corps, for being on track for that, Alali? What does that look like in your view? I would say that, as I mentioned, you know, I have uh, more confidence on the Marine Corps, of course, uh, meeting the, the uh, accelerated timeline for them in 23. Um, on the Navy front, um, you know, we're still planning to that 27 timeline. Um, however, as we're learning, as we're going through this journey, um, uh, you know, we are learning more. We are understanding the level of effort it takes, um, some of the challenges that we're facing that 
uh, quite frankly, is outside our controls. I think those are going to be the long pull that we have to uh, we have to work through. Has that maybe been the biggest challenge in this process that maybe you didn't know what you didn't know and you're uncovering more things that you didn't know as time goes on? Is that a, a reasonable way to look at it? Yes. And, and as our auditors uh, tell us, too, um, you know, they say uh, the Department of the Navy has probably made the most progress because we have taken the test fully. Uh, so now that we've taken the test and then, hey, we know where the, the gaps and the deficiencies are, um, the, what we're learning as we've gone through this is uh, the extent and the complexity of some of the fixes that we have to put in place and the level of effort it takes to sustain this. And quite frankly, uh, you know, um, Ideally, uh, you know, we like to have um, all the modern systems in the world, ex- um, you know, across the department. Ideally, we want to make sure that we do um, uh, have a lot of automation. But the reality is some of the, you know, modernization of the systems are not coming online um, uh, in the time period that we need. And so we have to work through, uh, you know, workarounds uh, to get to that solution. And that's really what's uh, quite frankly, keeping me up at night is, you know, we, we do all this work, all the work around that we have to do to get there and will we be able to sustain them as we go forward. Alala Jenkins, congratulations on closing out the fourth round and look forward to continuing to track your progress. Thanks for your time today. Thank you very much, Francis. I appreciate your interest and uh, in this matter. And um, I would tell your um, audience Uh, that uh, the Department of the Navy is fully committed to making this progress and is a priority for us and appreciate the healthy pressure from Congress, from people, from media. um, And we're always excited to talk about this journey and what we're learning from it. Thanks, Francis. You can read more about the Defense Department's fourth annual audit in today's show notes and see more about what the Navy's doing at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing so. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me do the show every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The new chief data officer at the Defense Logistics Agencies on Friday's show. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.